0: Is anybody else compelled by courtroom style television? I find that compelling to watch it and enjoy it. Does anybody? No? I thought I had more hands than that. Um, Perry Mason. Wow. I'm vaguely familiar that that was once a thing. Um, I'm thinking more like Law and Order, something that's still on the television. I don't know. Anyway, I know that Angie never misses an episode of Law & Order SVU, Special Victims Unit. She tried to get into watching Law & Order of UK, but she thought UK meant Ukraine, and she was confused when they all had British accents. (laughs) It's so great. Oh, it's so great. Uh, Anyway, uh, some of the best hours... I don't watch a lot of scripted television. It's mostly sports, as you know. But some of the best hours of television I've seen this year were courtroom Focused. I don't know if anybody saw the O.J. Simpson American crime story. It was great. Phenomenal. And the courtroom stuff, even though you know what happens, uh, was was excellent. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's not a great human. Uh, it's kind of the impression you, you get. But the, the drama of the courtroom scenes and how all the backroom dealings that happened with that trial that we're all so familiar with was fascinating. The courtroom is fascinating. We love, well, not enough people put up their hands for me to say that we love this, but I love uh, seeing how justice will be served or trumped uh, through clever deals and human error and uh, powerful arguments and tangible evidence. We love seeing if we can solve the mystery ourselves. Uh, We love considering what we would do if we were the judge or if we were the prosecuting attorney or the key witness or the defendant himself. Well, Where we are in Acts, we have one heck of a great defendant, and we have one uh, heck of a defense made by that defendant. If you're a fan of courtroom drama, then you're in luck. But not many people put up their hands, so I guess you'll just have to slog it through the next four weeks if you're not into courtroom stuff. Because we'll be spending a great deal of time in the courtroom uh, following the speech of a true champion of the faith, Stephen the Martyr. Today I'm going to begin by setting the stage for what you can expect over the next little while uh, as we listen in to the courtroom proceedings. But first, imagine for a moment that you were in the same desperate situation as our hero Stephen. We talked about Stephen last week. We talked about what made him a hero and the life that he lived before he was forced into court and the events that led up to him being arrested. And so imagine that you were in the same desperate situation as him. Stephen... A man who has worked tirelessly and fearlessly and powerfully for the kingdom is laying down his life repeatedly for both his master and his neighbor, whether that's by feeding widows or by performing miracles or by exhibiting the simple power of life lived governed by faithfulness and obedience and grace. And now despite all this, despite all the good that he's been doing, despite how he's given his life entirely over to Jesus, Now, despite all this, Stephen finds himself dragged into court and treated like a violent rebel, like a blaspheming false prophet, like Jesus, really. And so imagine that you yourself are listening with bitten tongue to the unjust charges levied against you. You hear liars and ignorant people and false witnesses drag your faithful name through the mud, and with it, the holy name of Jesus. They are saying that you are discrediting the authority of Moses, even God himself. They're saying that you're speaking evil against the holy temple, the very presence of God on earth. They're accusing you of actively attempting to destroy the foundation of their ancient and beautiful faith. They say that you're trying to tear down the law, the temple, and the creator God himself, that you are undermining all of those sacred pillars of your faith. And you know in your mind and in your heart that if you are found guilty of these accusations, that it will cost you your life. It's a death sentence. So now imagine standing before Caiaphas, just as Jesus had months earlier, the same high priest, and hearing Caiaphas demand that you speak for yourself to address these charges of blasphemy. What do you have to say for yourself? Stephen, hero of the early church, what defense do you make for yourself against the capital charges that you're up against? Stephen, hero of the early church, how do you explain your actions? How can you defend your innocence? How can you get yourself acquitted despite having said in some capacity the very words that you're being condemned for? It's not that you didn't say those things. It's that they don't understand the truth behind those things. So what do you say in defense of words that will get you murdered? What say you in light of the charges? Could any of this be true? This is the situation that we find ourselves in. In over the next month here in Acts 7 Stephen begins his great defense which takes up nearly the entire chapter it's the longest speech or sermon of any kind in the book of acts it's not Peter it's not Paul we've heard many of Peter's sermons and they're all excellent but none of them carry the weight or have the significance just in length alone that Stephen has It is an enormous and crucially important TSN turning point in the church. Remember we talked about last week, Stephen's speech. It's this huge turning point in the church. Not just in the church, but in faith and really in human history. It's that important. And so we're going to give it the four weeks that it deserves. But the question is, what will Stephen say to save himself? How can he get out of this situation? Well, the short answer is Nothing. Nothing. Stephen says nothing to defend or acquit or save himself. He doesn't even bother trying. There's nothing he can say to get out of his doom. He understands his situation, but he doesn't quail or quiver in the face of it. He faces it with strength. In fact, speaking of the face of it, Stephen is so filled with the indwelling spirit of the living God in this moment and so overwhelmed with power and with justice and with truth So filled with the Spirit of God that the face of Stephen lights up with a supernatural glow which draws the attention of every person in the room even before he says a word. The high priest says, what do you say about this? And he is so filled with the Spirit, so filled with his power and his grace and his truth that he lights up. Just like Moses on Sinai when Moses was in the very presence of Yahweh. Stephen is so fully prepared to shoulder his cross and lay down his life that he completely ignores his responsibility as the accused to defend against the accusations. He doesn't even bother trying. He has no time for his own innocence. He doesn't deal with it at all. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That in the face of charges that you know will get you the death penalty, you don't say anything to try to acquit yourself. Can you imagine? He doesn't care about that. He has no misconceptions about what's going to happen to him. He knows what it means to speak truth in this moment. He has no desire to live in any way that diminishes the life-giving power and the revolutionary grace that takes residence within him. And so, with his face terrifyingly aglow, and with his tongue loosed in power at last, he can speak finally to the accusations brought against him, Stephen makes no defense for himself. Instead, he makes a defense for his beliefs. He makes a defense for his community. He makes a defense for his Heavenly Father's transformative new way to understand life and worship and faith through the Son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't defend himself, he defends Jesus. Isn't that an amazing way to see it? What makes Stephen's speech so powerful and amazing isn't just the fact that it leads to him becoming the first martyr, although that is amazing in and of itself. What makes this speech so incredible is how he lays the framework for the rest of Acts. As the gospel explodes outwards from the temple, outwards from Jerusalem, outwards even from the Jewish people. Christianity did not remain an offshoot of Judaism, lingering like a rash around the Holy Land to be stomped out. No, it doesn't stay there. In the old system, to to have faith in God meant you went to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center, but now it's completely different. Now you're shooting out from Jerusalem, beginning here. Jesus called them to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And those, that trail to the ends of the earth begins with Stephen. It begins here. It exploded outward. It could not be contained. And it would not be defended by arms or weapons or force as Israel had been. We are called to defend it, but not with swords or spears or chariots. Rather, it would be defended in new ways and ways that are much more powerful than the old ways. Power to change lives, not just draw blood. It would be defended by acts of humble service and with words of faithful truth. With meekness that has strength, with sacrifice that has life. It would be defended by servants like Stephen, who knew the words of the Savior and the Scripture so deeply that they wrapped his words with a coating of ironclad authority. Everything Stephen said, his enemies had no defense against it. They were so... So perfectly scriptural and, and so deeply rooted in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that as he says them, there's an immediate authority to them. His words had the power to caress and to and to finesse words like forgiveness and redemption. So they have the power to invite, but they also are like a hammer that strikes and crushes, because they deal devastating blows, these words that he has. There is a term for this kind of speech, for what what Stephen is doing. And Stephen is among the very finest examples we, we have ever had of this special term. And that term is apologetics. Are you familiar with this phrase, apologetics? Apologetics isn't the same as apologizing. It's not saying, oh, sorry for this faith that I have. I used to think that's what it meant. It was like making an apology for believing something ridiculous, but that's not what it is. In all things... Including the words we say, Christians are to put Christ first and themselves last. Agreed? We must become less and he must become more, even in the words that we say. And so like Stephen, who never even bothers to defend himself, he makes his life less. And he he uses his last words to defend Jesus so that Jesus can become more. He becomes less even to death so that Jesus can become more. His only concern is the kingdom, so he defends his king instead of himself. He uses the scriptures that he's absorbed and cherished to present a reasoned and rational and historical defense for the things that he believes and proclaims. That is apologetics, arguing well for Jesus when presented the opportunity. That last little sentence there, when presented the opportunity, is an important element of apologetics, because it's not apologetics if you just stand on a street corner and yell at the world for being so stupid and ignoring Jesus. That's not apologetics. That's something, but it's not apologetics. Apologetics is having a prepared, reasoned, personal argument for why you believe the things you do when asked. There's, there's a confrontational element to apologetics, but it's based In relationships. It's not saying you can't initiate. It's saying that you have a response for your situation. What do I mean by that? Well, Stephen has an opportunity presented to him. A big opportunity. He literally has the high priest and the entire Sanhedrin looking at him and saying, What do you say about this? You're being accused of discrediting Moses, the temple, God himself. What do you say about these charges of blasphemy? And so he has a defense ready. He has a a reason why he says these things and why he believes these things. That's apologetics. As the jaws of death grip him ever tighter, he makes the enemies of the gospel wrestle with the fact that the things he is being condemned for are in fact the very things that God, whom they claim to serve, has instituted himself through his death, resurrection, and glorification. Stephen is saying, I know that these words will get me killed, but here's why they're true. It's a pretty powerful thing. Stephen speaks truth, and they had better listen up. Because Stephen does not speak for and defend Stephen. Stephen speaks for and defends Jesus, even at the cost of his own life. So over the next three weeks, we will be examining the last words of our hero, Stephen, as found in Acts chapter 7. We'll follow Stephen on a journey through Scripture. From Abraham and the patriarchs, which, by the way, sounds like a great band name, Abraham and the patriarchs. Uh, that's week one that'll be next week Uh, then up to Egypt into the life of Moses will be week two and then finally to the building of the Lord's dwelling places first the tabernacle and then the temple then on the fourth week we'll examine the impact of these words on Stephen his enemies his community of believers and us what effect do these words have in all of this Stephen's apologetical approach to faith will be presented not just to the Sanhedrin, but to you and to me as well. We have much to learn from Stephen's defense of the faith, both the manner in which he presents it and the content of the message he presents. We have much to learn from Stephen. Even though we're not attacking Stephen, we still have a lot to learn from Stephen. We will focus on the following three elements, which are the main points of Stephen's speech, And incidentally, the three truths that ultimately got him murdered. These are the things he's being accused of. And these are the truths that he is trying to proclaim. Life-changing truths. And those three elements of his speech are, one, a God who is not confined to specific locations. Two, a worship of God that is not confined to specific locations either. And three, a people of God who constantly reject his truth and his truth tellers. You're going to see with Moses or sorry with Abraham, with Moses, with the temple and the tabernacle, in all these things, these three truths come up that God will not be confined to one place, worship of God need not happen only in one spot, namely the temple, and third, there's always the people of God who will reject truth and those who bring it. so you're going to hear these three things over and over for the next three weeks. I apologize in advance of uh, wearing you out of them, but they are crucially important. So throughout his speech, Stephen answers the charges against him by illustrating how God is at work in the very things he's being condemned for, for blaspheming Moses, the temple, and God. He does not defend himself. He defends the new kind of faith that God is doing through him and through the community like him. And he solidifies with this speech, he solidifies his already stellar resume as a hero in the history of the church. Stephen becomes a martyr, and that is tragic, right? We we don't wish this on anyone. We don't wish this on our Coptic brothers and sisters in Egypt. We don't wish martyrdom on anyone. But the word martyr comes from the Greek word martyreo. So even in a sermon that's not a sermon, you still get a word nerd moment. Sorry. Do you know what martyreo means? You two Bible scholars. Do you know what martyreo means? It means witness. To be a martyr literally means to be a witness. So it, it is a courtroom word, right? You have witnesses in a courtroom. It doesn't get much more courtroomy than witness. But a witness is not the defendant. The witness speaks about the defendant. The witness knows the truth and speaks with truthfulness regarding the true events surrounding the, the actual defendant. A witness is all about truth, but not for themselves, but for the one they are defending. So the witness isn't the one on trial. The martyr isn't the one on trial. The one that he or she defends is the one on trial. The defendant. And in this courtroom, Stephen is aware that he is not actually on trial. God is. And the new things God is doing through his son Jesus, that's what's on trial. And so a witness's job is to speak the truth no matter the cost. A martyr's job is to speak the truth no matter the cost, even if it gets them martyred. And guess what? The truths that got our our martyr martyred still have the power to disturb the mighty and hammer our own hearts as well. Those three truths listed behind me a God who's not confined to specific locations, a worship of God not confined to specific locations, and a people of God who constantly reject his truth and his truth-tellers, those three truths, which I will return to again and again, aren't just for the Sanhedrin. They're not just words that Caiaphas and the High Council need to hear. They're words that we need to hear. They have power for us as well. This martyr, Stephen, this witness, is witnessing to you and I as well as to the Sanhedrin. Thousands of years after being stoned to death, his words still mean something to us. And I'm very excited to spend time in the courtroom with you to learn from the faithful and rational and powerful witness of Stephen. One last thing, I would encourage you to read chapter 7 yourselves. Read it a few times over the next few weeks. See how these three threads combine through the history of Israel and give power to Stephen's witness you don 't need me to tell you, I think you 'll be able to see these very clearly yourself and, and get depth of meaning from it. So go ahead and read it. Uh, I also want to thank both Julia and Steph for being here this morning. Steph, thank you so much for playing with us and uh, Angie and I are really excited to have a summer to get to do that with you and uh, Julia again, really proud of you and uh, for you weren 't a martyr in the sense that you were executed, thankfully. Uh, I'm very glad about that. But you were very much a martyr in the sense of bringing witness to people who need to know. And uh, thank you for doing that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this powerful life that you call us to. That we have good reason to believe and have faith in you. And thank you that our belief and our faith is so richly rewarding to us. I pray that as we examine Stephen and the life that he lived and the words that he spoke and the death that he encountered and embraced, I pray that as we study Stephen, we let his words of truth and power soak into us, that we would uh, we would learn from the witness of this martyr as well. Thank you that you are a God who can be worshipped whoever we are, wherever we are, that you accept us and welcome us uh, no matter who we are and that we can that we've been called to accept truth and welcome truth instead of reject it. Father, I thank you for the life of Stephen and the death of Stephen and the truth and the power that that learning about him will bring to us. All these things we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.